we hit fire beside the road at about kilometer, the 26th kilometer out of town. Wow, how close? Uh, it was like, like, I could hit it with a rock. Wow, uh, on the right side of the road? Yellowknife resident Aidan Cartwright spoke with the Globe's Mark Rendell. Uh, on the left side of the road at that time, but then as we were going, there was little flare-ups here and there. And uh, yeah, so it's so little flare-ups here and there that we could see. Um, and uh, yeah, my wife took a tiny little video. Evacuating down the highway, there's fire literally right there on the side of the highway and uh yeah and, and the smoke was just like completely like couldn't see more than 20 yards ahead of the car aiden is one of about 50,000 canadians who've been forced from their homes because of wildfires in the northwest territories and in british columbia near Kelowna. the reality is that we have climate refugees within our own borders today Stories from the wildfire front lines about what it's like to leave everything behind. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. It is really hard to understand the scope of Canada's wildfires. Almost 15 million hectares have burned this year alone. That's the size of Lake Superior and Lake Huron combined. It's true that a lot of these fires have been in the bush, since Canada is covered by a lot of forest. But the thing about fire is that it can be unpredictable. When the winds are right and there's lots of dry bush or tinder on the forest floor, fire can move fast. And before you know it, it's on your doorstep. like in Yellowknife. The Northwest Territories have been dealing with a lot of fires this summer. Some have been fast moving, leaving a trail of destruction in smaller communities. And this affected the decision to evacuate the capital. Yeah, I, well, I think what happened is that Hay River's fire and evacuation was just such a rapid progression. That was on uh, Tuesday or Monday or? That's Ryland Johnson a member of the Territory's Legislative Assembly. He spoke with The Globe's Mark Rendell. And then Fort Smith as well. Uh, so we had two major evacuations, kind of saw fire move quicker than, you know, it had in NWT's history yeah. towards a community like that. And, and then it kind of made everyone rethink the, the three fires burning around Yellowknife because they'd been burning a lot of them for, yeah. you know, weeks at this point. But they were at a healthy distance and the winds weren't there. And so I think it's just, it kind of went from that, like, zero to, oh, Yellowknife could be put in that Hay River situation where you have people driving out while, you know, their taillights are melting. Last week, by the night of August 16th, officials were worried about the fire pushing towards the city. Unfortunately, our wildfire situation has taken another turn for the worst. With the fire burning west of Yellowknife now, representing a real threat to the city. So that night, the evacuation order went out. And that same day, over 2,000 kilometers away, in the area of West Kelowna, British Columbia, there was another evacuation order. 
For Simon Melanson, that meant it was time to get to work. That night, he helped canvas the area under the order. He spoke to the Globe's Mike Hager. I was literally a person who was like banging on doors that night. It was unrealistic because it happened so fast it was near the mill. And when I was driving out, there were chunks of firewood falling from the sky. Simon has experience in managing natural disasters. In 2021, he was involved in BC's efforts to deal with the heat dome and destruction of the town of Lytton. But even with his experience, this fire bearing down on the Kelowna region was unlike anything he'd seen before. Imagine a this night turned to day, you know, it was just the glow was so huge, you could feel the heat. It was like a, a hurricane and a volcano had a baby. The next day, he was up early to prepare his property as best as he could, before leaving town to join his wife and daughters who'd already left. So basically, I ripped out all my landscaping by hand yesterday during the day starting at 5 a.m. so that there would be no plants next to my house. My neighbors thought it was like a cuckoo bananas. And, and then I started throwing like crushed stone around the outside of my house. I turned on my irrigation. I made my own mock sprinkler roof system. And it's just flooding the house now. And I've got like a number of security cameras around my house. For others, leaving meant thinking about what could I lose to the fire? Uh, I basically spent the morning taking video stock and photo stock of the whole house. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Yellowknife resident Chad Hinchy. He spoke with the Globe's Alana Smith while driving to Edmonton. So that we have that stuff for, you know, insurance purposes mm-hmm. um, and making sure that uh, anything that was expensive that we could make sure that needed to be replaced all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff for like stuff from my childhood that you can't replace or my wife's mm-hmm. childhood or you know memorabilia old photo albums like mm-hmm. we took basically every photo like our wedding was last year like a mm-hmm. year ago so like the, the guest book and things like that that like right you know you're just like, how do i replace this if it's gone but chad couldn't bring what means most to him his wife she works at a hospital in Yellowknife and stayed behind to help. Yeah, it's definitely a bit stressful, for sure. Um, I know that for her, she was she was really keen on making sure that uh, that we were all safe. Yeah. Um, for fellow Yellowknife resident Aiden, who we heard at the beginning of the show, his SUV was full. He and his wife Simone spoke to the Globe's Mark Rendell. Uh, we're in a Toyota Highlander, so uh, SUV um, with one, one row down because the dogs are in the back. Two big dogs, two small kids, and three quails. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say three quails? Yeah. So we, we had quail that we decided to get like a few weeks ago. Uh, and I told Simone, here, give the quail some water. I gave them some food. Hopefully they'll survive. And then the next thing I know, they're in the car with us. And I'm like, what? Oh, my God. So there's quails in a cage in the back of the car. Uh, they're right beside us. They're in the front here. Between, they're on my armrest. Oh, my goodness. We've had little cheap cheeps like, the whole drive. They also had a trailer with them, where they packed a lot of things that can't be replaced. We're towing a 10-foot trailer. So we literally put all of our all of our important possessions. Yeah. Like, we have my jewelry. We have the kids' handprints. We have, like, all the stuff yeah. that if the house was robbed or burned down. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got like a kilt, yeah. which is hard to replace. So like, like basically, 
anything like that, anything that's replaceable, like whatever, you know, we can buy that. If we can buy it, fine. If we can't, throw it in the trailer. We'll be right back. The logistics of packing up a household are one thing. But how do you pack up an entire city? How do you make sure that no one in a long-term care home or a hospital or living on the streets is left behind? This is what Kieran Testart was thinking about last week. He's an official with the Yellow Knives Dene First Nation, which is close to the capital city. There are some issues, like I got a call from someone who was advocating for a disabled person. They have no means of getting down there themselves. So I, I, we're, we're trying to work on helping this person get on a plane. By the end of the weekend, nearly all of Yellowknife's population was gone, except for a few thousand frontline workers. Military planes were brought in to help get hospital patients out of the territory. One of the biggest challenges is just how remote Yellowknife is. For example, the drive from Yellowknife to Edmonton takes about 15 hours. Plus, there's really only one road leading into and out of Yellowknife. That created traffic jams along the highway and at gas stations. Here's Aiden again. We were lucky we brought gas. Otherwise, it would probably have been like a one and a half to two hour wait um, just to get gas. And the driving was harrowing. There's like sections where there was big patches just kind of burning, but it looked more like someone's campfire got out of control in multiple spots. Just all these little embers burning, and it looked like like hundreds of people were just had little like like lighters or campfires in the bushes. Aiden and his wife Simone were still driving when they spoke to us. The sheer length of the drive was really starting to weigh on them. You're at that point in the drive and your eyes are already so tired just being open for like 15 hours or 20 yeah. hours. Yeah, you're on such an autopilot. And it's so smoky and the smoke is, you know, the acrid is burning your eyes. For Chad from Yellowknife, who spoke to reporter Alana Smith, one of the scariest moments of the drive was when black smoke swallowed up the highway. It's, it was eerie driving through it, these huge dark clouds that you drove into and you're like, is this... Uh, is this going to end at some point? Yeah, like it was, like, the best way I can describe it is like a dark range road mm. that has no street lights, and you're just like, what the hell is going Like, And then he drove through the town of Enterprise, or what was left of it. Until you got to Enterprise, and then Enterprise was... Uh, was devastating to drive through like it's just barren for mm. you know 40 40 50k just barren trees yeah um, you know you can tell that the road is just like or the fire is just torched through there and then yeah. you get through to the town and, and the buildings are all gone some evacuees got to leave Yellowknife by plane like Vivian Hansen who spoke to Globe reporter Alana Smith Right now, sitting in the airport. Yeah, very smoky in this building. What was the, what's the vibe like at the airport right now? Well, it's quiet. People are, you know, Canadians. We just sit and accept stuff. Yeah. Everybody's just listening. You know, they're in little groups. Lots of tourists, actually. I I mean, we do have a tourism is back. Of course. See. 
I can see tourism here. Mm, yeah. And they were trying to get out in that. But getting a seat on one of the evacuation flights took a lot of patience. Only 15 flights from Yellowknife landed in Alberta on August 17th. The next day, there were only another 25 or so. Hannah Wilson was on one of those flights. She caught up with reporter Alana Smith. Uh, no, yesterday their flights were sold out, so kind of seats would come up here and there. Um, so I managed to grab um, flights for my mom and my sister first. So once kind of those extra flights went on, right. uh, we were able to book. Yeah, it just kind of like a stressful 24 hours. As people landed in cities further south, they waited for their bags and were greeted by volunteers handing out water to drink. Yes, please. While at the airport, our reporter, Alana, saw a man and woman embracing. That was Todd Hayward and his mother-in-law, Shirley Bonnet. She'd just landed from Yellowknife. Was it a relief to touch down and see family? Yes, in a way, and in a way I always thought, you know, it it would obviously be nice to be home. Oh, yeah, of course. And I don't know, I keep thinking what... Should should we have left, Mm. you know, or should we have stayed in Eiferdale? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought we'd better leave just in case. Over the weekend, the wildfires slowed down. Since the evacuation of Yellowknife began, the fires only moved a few kilometers closer to the city. In West Kelowna, in B.C., some houses have burned down. But for the most part, fire crews, led by Fire Chief Jason Broland, have been able to keep the flames at bay. Uh, we're now four days in. Uh, it feels like months. But things are looking better. We are finally feeling like we're moving forward rather than we're moving backwards. And, that's a great- and in the midst of all the chaos of fleeing and fighting fire, people have helped each other get through the crisis. Kieran from Yellowknife witnessed this himself. I've been getting calls all morning from people who have vehicles just wanting to help out, you know, um, people who are trying to do do their part for the community before they take off themselves. Chad from Yellowknife saw this neighborly help on his drive across the border from the Northwest Territories into Alberta. So I haven't had mm-hmm. an issue with gas, but mm-hmm. there was like people pulled over or like set up outside of Steen River that were given free flats of water and free gas. Like someone had made a homemade sign, like free camping for all evacuees. And it's just, uh, you know, honestly, their farm property or whatever. These stories are just some accounts from the 50,000 people who had to evacuate. And yes, some homes were lost, but 50,000 people got out. It was a massive undertaking. And yet, there's a question that hangs in the air. Is this what it's going to be like every summer from now on? As Kieran from Yellowknife wonders, is Canada ready for what that could mean? This is really significant, what's happening in the Northwest Territories. We talk about climate change in this country a lot. We've seen the catastrophic effects of uh, forest fires and weather events like this, um, but nothing, I've never seen anything like this. And, you know, it's, it's people use the words apocalyptic and it, feel, it feels that way. So I think it's, if this isn't a wake up call for the rest of the country, it needs to be. The North needs more resources to fight climate change, to adapt to climate change 
change and uh you know to build up our infrastructure so we're resistant to this kind of stuff and when the time comes to rebuild that's it for today i'm manika raman wells our summer producer is nagi nia our producers are madeline white Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.